This is Paul Schneiderman today on the 131st edition of the Sports Untold podcast, also on RainierAvenueRadio.world. My special guest today is Donald Watts, UW basketball legend and former professional basketball player. Donald, I'll get back to you in a minute. Uh, my assistant producer who came in this year is Olivia Coyne. Uh, Olivia's doing a good job. She's at University of Washington, known her family for many years. Uh, my podcast is also on Spotify, Amazon, Google, iTunes, Podbeam. You can go to sportsuntoldpodcast.net. Uh, work on getting my sportsuntoldpodcast.com back up. But uh, in any event, I encourage my listeners to click the like button regarding my show, comment, go to sportsuntoldpodcast.net, and check out my show on some of those uh, mention outlets. You can also go to my law firm website, plslawoffices.com. You can find my interviews, as I mentioned, on, on YouTube and other, other net, uh, outlets. All right, Donald, let me get back to you. Uh, Mr. Watts had a very good career at University of Washington. I believe you were the University of Washington player of the year one year in basketball, right? Yeah, I was the MVP for the for the team uh, the year we went to the Sweet 16, or whatever that's worth. That's right. I was going to mention that the great Sweet 16 team. Uh, Donald, I believe, was a Washington State basketball player of the year when he was at Lake Washington High School. Um, Don, Donald's the son of NBA legend Slick Watts. Uh, many... Uh, Fans of the community know um, Slick as well and, and Donald's family. Donald played professional basketball in the CBA, the NBA D-League, I think in South America and Belgium, right? Yep, yep, absolutely. I got to just go back really quick. The other day, I almost had to fire a guy who works for me, uh, who, who runs camps for me. He's over there running camps, and his girlfriend gets out the car, and she has a Rip Hamilton shirt on when she got out of the car <laughs> I said, Hey, don't wear that around me. And she was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, it was a Detroit Pistons, uh, Rip Hamilton shirt. And I said, he's the one who sent me home. He cost me a lot of money. Don't wear me. Don't, if, you, if you want your boyfriend to keep his job, don't bring that around here anymore. I, of course I was kidding. Uh, but that happened just this last week. <laughs> For the listeners that sweet 16 game we dub had back in 98 against Connecticut was a major game, and UW lost by one. We'll talk about that famous game. And Rick Hamilton, who later had a great NBA career, was uh, your, Donald's nemesis in that game. So <laughs> Yeah, he put us out. Last yeah. second shot. Um, Donald's been a, a really good son to his dad, Slick. Slick's been encountering some health issues. I've seen Donald with Slick. He's just been a great son helping out his dad right now. Uh, Donald's been a basketball coach, instructor at the Washington Athletic Club. Uh, he runs the Watts Basketball LLC, I guess, a basketball training program. Um, Donald's been a basketball commentator over the years, basketball tutor. Definitely want to get Don's Donald's perspectives on the big, huge news that came today. The University of Washington, Oregon will be leaving the Pac-12 to hit the Big Ten. Donald will have a great perspective as a former uh, Pac-10 athlete. Um, don't know Donald well, but we've run into each other many times over the years, and uh, we have a lot of mutual friends and acquaintances. And uh, Donald, really appreciate you coming on the 131st edition of the Sports Untold podcast, also on Rainier Ever Radio. Oh man, I appreciate it. Uh, appreciate being here. Like I said, we've we've crossed paths numerous times uh, over the years. I didn't know this was something uh, that you did. I think you've been getting, you've been, you've been. I was going to tease you about being 131. I didn't, don't feel very special on that number, but I know you've been trying to track me down for a while, and life's been a little busy for me. So I'm I'm really glad I saw you the other night, and um, really happy uh, to be here, and really happy to dig in uh to the podcast uh more right and, and start to become an active uh listener myself uh, i got a couple projects i'm working on on the podcast airways uh we have a uh, what's up wednesdays 
um, that we do as a live radio show uh, on on Wednesday. And then uh, you can hear the replays of it on iTunes uh, and Spotify and all the you know podcast networks, um, as well as uh, as well as um, I just started a college prospects podcast, which is not going to be the official name, but I recorded three shows uh, yesterday um, that's geared towards people who want to do what I've done uh, and sharing my my stories and how my pops helped me and how I helped my kids, my sons at Washington State University, which makes the the Pac-10, you know, whatever the conference is going to be really uh, timely, you know, the, the the Washington and Oregon leaving, uh, not only does it affect me as a former uh, Pac-10 athlete, um, Pac-12 athlete, but uh, it's it's current, right? Because my son's at Washington State, and as this thing navigates, it sounds like they might be looking at the big, you know, just this whole conference might just blow all the way up, especially with the last We're going to talk about that, yeah, for sure, yeah. in this episode. Yeah. By the way, Donald, 131 is just a number. It's not a ranking system. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did try to. Re- I think I ran into you uh, last fall at that NBA Legends event, and yeah, father was there, and I, I, I mentioned it to you about getting you on that. I think maybe several months before I also mentioned. It. So we're finally doing it. No, better, yeah, better. yeah, yeah. No, I'm not, I, I, I have to admit, I've been a tough guy to track down these last no, couple of years. Good. We're all good. Thanks so much for doing this, Donald. Well, you know, I kind of want to talk about your journey a little bit. You know, as a person, as a basketball player, and as a a father and, and, you know, you grew up in the Seattle area and just talk a little bit about growing up. And, and one thing that, that interests a bunch of my listeners, um, a friend of mine was really interested in this question is kind of talk about being the son of slick Watts, uh, talk about the positives. Maybe talk about a couple challenges at times, maybe being the son of slick, but just talk about oh. growing up and, and, and so forth. So, yeah, I mean, my childhood, so there's, there's two parts really, to being the son uh, of Slick Watts. And one is just being being the son, and I'll just kind of break it down like this, but being the son of Donald Earl Watts, like the the man, the father, uh, and the energy um, and the support that he poured into me as a father uh, and a son is, is, you know, really, you know, when you say I'm being a good son to him, the, I mean, I don't I don't feel like because of the way I was raised and because of what he poured into me that I really have a choice in that. Um, and I, I don't say that like I don't have a choice. I say that I wouldn't choose things any other way uh, because the love and support that uh, he showed me and, and, you know, how to overcome obstacles and was just right there with me uh, all the way. I will say this, man, he, it was, you know, being the son of Donald Earl Watts was also tough, right? Like. He would not tough from the standpoint of expectations or what like people assume. It was just tough from the standpoint of truth um, at home and and wanting to be a basketball player and wanting to not necessarily like I didn't want to follow in his footsteps. I was interested in what he was interested in. And so I was following in his footsteps because I I, I gravitated and loved uh, the game of basketball. It wasn't like a desire. I want to be like my dad. It's like, no, I love this game. And he gave me that opportunity to experience it um, for myself. So, but the, when you're not, you know, in our family, um, when you're not very good or you're struggling or, you know, like you, you, you're not, oh, you want to be this, but your daily habits are that it, you come home and they tell you the truth. <laughs> like, and I remember as a youth playing youth basketball and, 
getting out of games. And he's like, hey, man, I, I need to talk to your mama. And I'm like, what you mean you need to talk to my mama about what? You don't look like my son out there. I need to see where you came from. You know, and I'm like, what? Like, he would say stuff like that. Um, and it would be half joking, you know, not he knew I was his son, um, but he was getting a point across. But then he would say, hey, if you want to get better, you say you want to be great. Let's get in this gym and get to work. So he didn't, didn't never, you know, poked fun or criticized or talked down to you and then left you alone. He just, hey, like, you're not living up to your expectation, my expectation. Let's get to work if, if this is what you really want to do. And he always asked me if this is what I wanted to do. And then when I said yes, then it would be thousands of left-hand layups. But he was right there with me. Uh, so that's one part of it. And then the other part of it is being the son of Slick Watts. Uh, and Slick Watts, who embraces everybody, who engages everybody, who signs every autograph, who shakes every hand, who shows up for everybody's everything. Um, and the hardest part about that is uh, getting places on time, you know, as, as a kid, right? <laughs> like, spent a lot of my time sitting and watching him talk to people as they came up. And I'm like, hey, man, I'm supposed to be at practice or, hey, you know, I'm supposed to be here. Hey, I'm supposed to be there. Um, and then the, the 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 other part of being the son of, of Slick Watson and is there you grow up with a, like people's eyes on you um, and you're but you're a private person. Right. Like. And there's a you see like one of the things with the challenges with kids and all the you know the, the this social media era and everybody posting about everything that their kids do for me it kind of uh, irks me a little bit because I grew up you know I was born and King Five was right there when I was born I wasn't conscious of that then but that just gives you an idea of like how my upbringing uh, went and so you know, making mistakes that kids make or doing things that, you know, you, you, you're always told it like, Hey, you're going to have more people having more judgment on you for, you know, doing, you know, making mistakes or doing the things that kids do normally or whatever. So, um, that made me uh, like a public person who uh, definitely embraces like people in public but also a private person who um, has, you know, relationships and, and, and things that are really sacred, right? Like my relationships with my family and, you know, whatever. I got, I got a text message the other day or a di direct message from a coach, a former coach as a principal. And he was like, hey, uh, I hear a lot about like your kids and your dad. You know what I mean? Like, what about your kids' mothers and, their mo and your mom? You know, like I don't really see or hear a lot. Well, those are like my relationships that aren't in publics, in the publics, you know, I, and I like that, right? <laughs> like, um, and so, and it's not like that I have any less love at all uh, for my mother. I'm a mama's boy. Uh, a lot of people don't know that because me and my dad roll so tight uh, publicly. My mom's actually in town right now from Mobile, Alabama where I spent uh, part of my upbringing. So um, those are the, you know, the things and the parts of growing up as, as, as Slick Watch's son. And that's, I think the the biggest thing out of all of those is just getting places on time.
you know, and and, and having so much demands uh, of his time on him that he embraced. And, you know, sometimes in critical and not critical moments, he's always there for me in critical moments. But sometimes his attention was, you know, with the people, power to the people. It's all about the love. You know, that was that was his thing. The people made me. Um, and so he always took took moments for the people. And that would just make me late to things sometimes. And it's a habit I'm still trying to break. So you brought, bring a lot up there. And, and that's very interesting that those delays would happen. Because I, I've seen your dad around town. He always wants to shake people's hands and say hello. And you mentioned that sometimes it would affect your ability to get to places on time. But, you know, I just it's, I think a lot of children of public figures have a little bit of a bond at times and just kind of understanding the scrutiny that you may be under a little more than some other kids. And so um, you brought up a lot there. I want to tell you a quick story about your dad that I, I may have mentioned this to you before. I, I, I've mentioned your dad once or twice. I've run him over the years. I was at Nathan Eckstein middle school in eighth grade back in about 1985. And we had a, um, a career day where like a doctor came to speak, a lawyer, a mechanic, different people came and spoke and, and your dad spoke about being a professional athlete. And um, of course, he generated the most of the kids wanted to you know, hear your dad talk. But I remember your dad said something I'll never forget. He goes, look, you know, being a pro athlete can be great, but I got kids to feed now. You know, he, it was right. very powerful the way your dad said it. But look, he, he was trying to send the kids a message that if you do become a professional athlete, and so few people do, you know, you, you got a life ahead of you too. So yeah, I would just, right. I learned some of your dad as a kid, you know, um, I knew, yeah. I knew I was gonna be a pro athlete in eighth grade. I wasn't that good, but I was right. at the same time though. I, I, it was interesting to hear dad's perspective on that. Um, yeah. And, and, and he had a kid that ate a lot too. And that was me. <laughs> um, basketball has been your primary sport. What, what were some other sports you enjoyed growing up and you still enjoy today? Oh, um, I enjoy flag football. Um, football was a, was an interesting thing for me. I always thought I could have been really, really good at football. Uh, I tried to convince uh, my dad on multiple occasions to let me play football. Um, and he had a kind of little Jedi little trick. You know, oh, yeah, go out. You know, like, that would be cool or whatever. And then the day before tryouts, I'll be getting ready. He's like, hey, man, let's sit down and talk about this decision uh, that, that you're making to play football. He wouldn't give me time to think about it. And then he would like make some, some valid points. Hey, what if you get hurt? You know, you want to do this. You said you want to do that. You could be putting all that at jeopardy and for what to just, you know, go out there and have fun or whatever. And so ultimately I would sleep on it, wake up and be like, Oh dad, you're right. And so I never played uh, football. Um, but it's something that I wish I would have done uh, and, and just, just had the experience doing as a wide out. I got these huge hands, uh, soft touch from playing uh, basketball. I had, a, you know, was a great uh, athlete um, basketball wise once upon a time. And uh, know that, you know, when you look at the NFL, like the wide receiver position, you know, guys that are six four, six five that can run and jump uh, do really well in football. And I, I would I would have loved to be able to, you know, talk to my kids about how many touchdowns I grab and how I used to just pick it out the air over people and all that stuff. But I don't, I don't have that. Uh, I don't have that in my life. Uh, one of the things I enjoy now or starting to try to enjoy, and it's hard to enjoy is golf. Uh, that's something that me and my dad have done a lot of celebrity events again, something that he, you know, picked up. Um, and so I like to get out there lately. We're putting together a, 
a golf tournament gala, family fun day, September 16th, 17th, 18th for our foundation, but also to honor his 50 years of service into the, in our community. Um, so we'd love to see you there uh, at that. Um, but now I kind of, I go out and, and, and kind of spend the day, you know, my dad can't get out there right now. Um, and so I just kind of go out there and cherish moments that we had out there. And uh, you might find me on the golf course laughing to myself and I'll be laughing about a story that my dad told me, you know, out on the golf course that is just, I mean, if you've ever spent any significant amount of time with him, aside from, you know, the handshakes and the smile and the grace that he shows in meeting people, you know, personally, like if when if you've ever really been in the circle, you know, the dude is hilarious. Um, he He's wild. <laughs> like he has crazy uh, stories. And so I just, you know, he's not as audible as he was. He, he still understands everything. Um, so I like to go out and golf and, and just kind of be with him even though he's not, he can't go do that, you know, right now. So that's one of the things that I, I, I really like to do uh, right now. How about sports like baseball or tennis? Are, are those a couple? Yeah. Other oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, like, I mean, my upbringing was interesting in that regard because I think my dad had a little bit of a sour um, taste with basketball when I was, you know, coming of age of sports. And so he tried everything else. Like he, he had me out in the tennis court at the at the, the the Sonics Racket Club, which used to be in Bellevue. Now it's the Pro Sports Club. Um, he had me out there hitting tennis balls, um, and then we would be at Grassland Park uh, playing baseball. My 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 family is actually a baseball family. My grandfather played baseball. Um, my brother was a hell of a baseball player, probably better than he was basketball. He played basketball at Mississippi State. Um, but he also had a baseball scholarship offered at Mississippi State. And Mississippi State at the time was more of a baseball school than it was a basketball school. Uh, and my dad was drafted uh, in the baseball, undrafted in basketball. Um, but he he chose basketball. I never so knew that. I, I, yeah, I never knew yeah. So I experienced more kind of pressure to play uh, basketball. I experienced one of the things about my dad. Just it's, it's funny. Um, it's funny and it's not funny. It, it's, it can be kind of limiting. Um, and parents, you know, parents do this to their kids, right? Like you you have your own, and I've, I've tried to be conscious of not, about not doing this to my kid, but you have your own experience as a parent. You have your own challenges as a parent. And sometimes you put those challenges on to your kids. And I think one of the things that, I don't know if he consciously let me have basketball, but he he was pressure. He was he loved tennis at the time. Uh, his foundation was basket was baseball, and so he was trying to kind of steer me in those directions. And I was getting a lot of lessons and do it this way and do it that way and do you know like this. And when I went to the basketball court, he left me alone initially, right? So I got to have my own relationship with the game. Um, and then once I started playing the game and I found my love for the game, then he started supporting me as far as the fundamentals and all of that stuff. So my foundation in basketball wasn't as pressurized as baseball and tennis. Um, and so I, I got out of baseball and I got I remember the moment I got out of baseball. It was a rainy day, um, probably 55 degrees. And they, he wasn't going to let me play baseball on a team until I could really do some things. 
with it. And uh, he was hitting balls to me, hit me ground balls to me. I was at shortstop. He played shortstop or whatever. And he hit a ball to me and I caught it and I caught it right in the meat of my glove. And he's like, oh, great job. And he's all excited. And my hand hurt so bad. <laughs> it stung my hand so bad. And I was, I took the glove off. And I was like, hey, man, like, I'm, if that was great, I'm done. <laughs> like, that hurt. <laughs> uh, so that was the end of my baseball career ended before I started. Well, it would have been kind of interesting if there was an alternative history of where your maybe baseball or football career could have gone. But Donald, you know, one thing in your life that I believe you've dealt with is I, I believe you've been dealing with a chronic fatigue syndrome issue. Can you tell us about that diagnosis and uh, maybe describe it for people like me who don't know a lot about it and tell us when you got diagnosed and did it affect your basketball um, career anyways? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so the 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 diagnosis is a little weird uh how they do it or how they did it uh at the time what was just to give you an example of the effect on my basketball career um as a junior as a rising senior um we did some physical testing at the university of washington uh at a camp i was at and i had a 39 inch vertical leap um as a sophomore at the University of Washington, we were on a road trip at Arizona State and shoot around and I couldn't dunk. Like I had lost that much power in uh, in my legs. Um, and so, and I didn't know why, right? I, I had no, I just knew I was cramping up before games. Uh, I mean, I had got to the point where uh, if I was having uh you know, a steak and it was, you know, too tough to chew. My jaw would like, it wasn't like just, Oh, my legs are cramping up. Like all of my, like would cramp up and then brain fog, mental fatigue, all it affected school, everything. Um, and then ultimately, uh, I almost, it was my junior year. I was struggling so bad. Um, and I called my mom. And I was like, hey, I don't know what's going on. I've been, you know, feeling this way for two and a half years, struggling physically. Like, it might be time for me to give it up. I can't go to practice every day and go through this and feel, you know, it's like, but they're paying for my school. You know, we're having these kind of these conversations. And she says to me, um, well, you guys are playing uh, South Alabama. Uh, one of the one of the things that we agreed to when I signed at the University of Washington was that we would play a game in Mobile, Alabama, where all my family is from and where I spent part of my upbringing. One of the smart things that Bob Bender did um, in his recruiting process, and there, there were other schools that did too, was they went um, to Mobile and went with my mother and my grandfather, uh, who I'm very close with as a part of our of the recruiting process. So uh, over Christmas break, we were playing South Alabama and then we had our break. So I was going to be able to stay there for an extra, you know, four or five days and then come back uh, to Seattle. And my mom convinced me, hey, just play through Christmas. Like that was, you know, just play through Christmas. We have a naturopath here that I want you to see um, to, you know, evaluate you know, where you're at. And he basically, yeah, we, I went to this place. It was called like the health hut in Mobile, Alabama. And it was a vitamin and mineral place. I had been to doctors and doctors and doctors at the university of Washington. And no, you know, they tell me do three push-ups. I do three push. -ups. Oh, you're perfect. You're fine. And I'm like three push-ups. 
300 is the what I need to be doing. That's what I used to do, not three. So um, we go to the health hut, and Dr. Hill, he does like some pressurized tests where, you, oh, you're weak here, you're weak here, boom. And he prescribed me a vitamin and mineral uh, regimen that was essentially for stress on my adrenal gland. And he tells me to stop eating processed sugar and flour. Uh, I did that and we ended up, you know, I came back. I ended up being like number one or two in the Pac-12 and scoring. Uh, we went to the Sweet 16, like all of these, the things that my career is built on that I people still remember. The reason why we're talking now happened after that point. That was a turning point uh, in my college basketball career. Um, and it's something that, uh, that so that was a, that was a, a, a diagnosis that wasn't um, like a medical profession diagnosis, right? Like that was a, a, a naturopathic diagnosis and, you know, medical doctors didn't, don't accept that or whatever. Um, and you come down and, and as you get more, more people are going through this stuff. So naturally you get more information about it. And there's a condition called candidiasis where there's a fungal overgrowth in your system. That's very difficult to deal with. Um, that's an underlying cause, something that, and it's something that I still deal with today. Uh, I'm, I'm gluten-free. I stay away from processed sugar other than, um, I like to enjoy, uh, uh Tito's and soda. Um, maybe, you know, maybe a little bit more than I would like, <laughs> right? Like maybe a little bit more than is good for me. Um, but like, that's the only like sugar processed sugar that that I you know enjoy right is the Tito soda and and I I manage it I always said when I was playing it's like if it was just about the quality of life I would be okay but like I need to be able to do two a days I need to be able to jump 40 inches I need to do the things that I was able to do to accomplish the goals and the dreams that I set out to accomplish those things as a professional like so at the at University of Washington they got to the point where they saw the difference and then we managed my schedule by giving me an extra day off in the middle of the week. So I would practice Monday, Tuesday. Wednesday was a light day before the Thursday and Friday game or whatever. So, but I would get Wednesday off so that on Thursdays and Fridays I was ready to rock. And, and we managed my schedule like that. Um, but then playing professionally, that wasn't, you know, like you go season, you play professionally, it's two a days. And they didn't really acknowledge um, you know, what I was dealing with. So I would go, I would play, I would be really good to start. And then I just, my body would, would get run down. I was in a couple NBA camps and the same thing would happen. It's like, oh man, this guy can go. And the longer we went, the worse I got. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, that don't, the, the, it's what you, what you can do. You know, it's like, can you be here every day? It's the, the best ability is availability. I wasn't able to be available. Um, on a consistent basis. And the more I trained, the worse I got physically. So that really derailed uh, my professional career. Well, there's a lot there, Donald. You made a good point on how naturopaths can really help people. And I think that is important um, information there. And something else that you, that I wanted to ask you about, do, do you think in this era, in the early 2020s, there might be some more understanding about these type of, health issues that people have and maybe different sports leagues can, can have more understanding and maybe can accommodate some players that have the condition like you have now? I mean, you, there's more well, understanding now? Or? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Um, there's more understanding. 
Um, but it's not as far along as you would think or would hope. Uh, I think you really got to find uh, specialists in this stuff. So if you're, you know, my daughter deals with some of the same things um, and it affected her recruiting and she, she wouldn't acknowledge that she was dealing with it um, because she's such a, like, she's so blessed physically as an athlete, as far as like her size and her athleticism that she could make up for it a little bit in high school basketball and still attract the attention of colleges. Um, but when she went to college and she got on the schedule, then like on the schedule, the physical demands, she had to like, oh, yeah, I, I, there is something, you know, not quite right. And so we're working with uh, a doctor who's a naturopath, but also uh, a MD, like a um, who's really helping her uh, in that journey. Um, but I, I've had to, you know, I've, we, it's been a thing for us where I'm like, hey, like, you know, I know like you don't understand what's going on. And I know that like people around you are frustrated, but I know this. Like I can see what you're going through. I also have my son who's the same age as you, who's not going through the same things, but I can see some of the difficulty that you're having. And it's not, it, if I was, I, I basically told her like, you've had this since the beginning. I felt what it felt like to be, to be feel indestructible as a high school athlete and to be able to run and jump and play all day. Like, we have to try to get you that experience. I had it and I've always been trying to get it back, right? But if you haven't had it, then you have to kind of trust me, but you also have me who's gone through this. So let's attack this thing together so we can get your, you have you have a great college career, get your education paid for and, you know, have you really enjoy the sport that you love. But then the thing that I gained from it that I've been trying to really impress on her is do the best. It's like I've developed this, you know, mantra of like, do the best you can with what you have today and leave some for tomorrow. Right. <laughs> like, you know, say leave it all out there in the court. It's like, well, if you leave it all out there and you don't recover. Um, so there's a little bit of a, a, a like pacing that we have to do to make sure we don't fully deplete so that our bodies can recharge. And we take new vitamins, minerals, nutrients, and are really um, uh, mindful about the rest that we get and how we live in between workouts. Uh, and, and, you know, we're able to, 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 to strive. Well, I, you know, I really, with my podcast, not like I have a million listeners or anything, but I really like, think it's important to focus on some different health issues that and I, some of my guests have had some different health issues that I, I think it's important to hit on. I appreciate you sharing more about chronic fatigue syndrome and how it's at your family and what you've done to, to work around it and try to overcome it. And I, I think that listeners will appreciate uh, Donald, your insights that you shared back to your, 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 your basketball career at UW and you know, the 1998 Sweet 16 game, I remember it pretty well. And we unfortunately lost by one against UConn. I'm sure that was a was a big moment for you. What were some other exciting moments of your Husky basketball career? Um, oh, man. Uh, I don't know. That, that tournament run uh, was, you know, it was big. It was incredible. Um, and then, I mean, some of the things, you know, when, when you – when you go through those things and like you 
we went to back-to-back NCAA tournaments. It's those things that happen behind the scenes um, that are catalysts and that create momentum for, you know, to, for those things that happen. And, and like that, you know, everybody knows about the Sweet 16 run and the last second shot. But when we came home uh, from Christmas, like that trip that I was talking about, uh, I got home and quite a few of our other players didn't make it back to the next days. They didn't get back in time. People missed flights. You know, people that were in Portland area didn't, you know, they got sick, so they couldn't come in. And I just remember coach coming in and being like, hey, guys, like, you know, this person wasn't able to make it. This person wasn't able to make it. This, so we're not going to practice today. And he was very, like, casual about it. Uh, come back tomorrow. We'll try again at nine or whatever. And so we show up the next practice at nine and we practice from like nine to one. Like it's the longest, hardest practice we've ever had. Practice ends at one and we're like, oh, and he's like, we'll see you tonight at three. And we're like, see you tonight at three. And so we go another practice and we practice like six hours that day. And he was like, see you tomorrow morning at nine. So we we literally did. I think he would be fired for doing this now. But we literally had like 12 hours worth of practice in two days. And this is right after I got back from doing the, you know, the doctor thing and figuring out where I was, you know, at. And I was feeling a little better. But I'm like, yo, man, we already talked about fatigue. We got a schedule that works. And now we're going to throw all that out the window and we're going to practice 12 hours, you know, in 12 days. I think our next game was Cal, if I'm remembering this right. And I literally was laying and I did not want to play that day. They they had, like, he had ran us that much. Um, and in the middle of it, the, he, like, one of the practices, we was like, oh, you you tired? And, you know, every, he goes down the line, are you tired? Are you tired? Everybody's like, no, 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 no. He gets to me, and I'm like, honestly, coach? He's like, yeah, honestly. I was like, I'm tired as hell. <laughs> He's like, oh, you are? We hadn't even stretched yet. Get out of here. Get your asses out of here. And he, like, runs us out the gym. We all get kicked out. And we get to the locker room, and the guys are like, guys, what are we going to do? I was like, I don't know about you guys. I'm going to go take a nap. <laughs> like, <laughs> He's like, I don't care if you come tomorrow for the game. And, and our players were kind of like shook by that. And I said, I don't know about you guys. And I signed a scholarship and I'm here for four years. You know, I got two years left. He cannot come tomorrow, but I think we got to be here, <laughs> right? Like we got to be here to play. And then we had a big old team shake up about how, like how I didn't care and all this stuff. So there's all this stuff that goes on in college basketball, like behind the scenes. And uh, we were in a situation where, I was sitting in front of the coaching staff with a couple of players and they told me some things about how they were feeling about me right in front of the coaches. And I'm like, Oh man, I thought we were teammates. You guys were my friends. And if you felt that way, maybe you should express that, but not in this setting. Well, when we walked out of that meeting, the coaches, the two players that were captains or whatever, um, I said, give me a second with my guys. Uh, to the to the coaching staff. And so I went into the room. We were all sitting in the room. We're supposed to be watching film. And I said, so they just let me know that they felt a certain way about me that they had never expressed. And they did it in front of the coaches. I need to know 
how many of you guys others feel the same way. And so they were like, oh, you know, this, this, and this. And we, I said, okay, good. And then I just went down the line and told every single one of them <laughs> how I felt about them. And we got it all hashed out. Like, all hashed out. Say, so, okay, we all know how we feel about it each other. It was like an intervention, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, like, we got all that out the way, right? We're all, I, you might not like how I feel about you. I might not like how you feel about me. We got a job to do. But from that point, we became much closer uh, as a team. And then that is what kicked off a, a run that ended up in the Sweet 16. So, you know, I want to – Alternative history scenarios. I'm a little nerd th this way. I always find it interesting <laughs> what could have happened if if this hadn't happened. What that what could have happened? Yeah, I, I, they always interest me. So, I want to ask you something. If, if Washington had won that game back in '98 and got to the Elite Eight and beat and had a major win against UConn, you guys just lost by one point. Do you think Bob Bender would have lasted longer at University of Washington? What do you think what could have happened to the program if you guys won that game? Well, I, what, I mean, I probably wouldn't have lasted longer. I probably would have left. Um, you know, after that tournament run, there was, you know, like, so I was projected on the draft board. Um, but to me, it made sense with the struggles I had had in college and how short of a window I had had success to come back, prove it, let the class that was, you know, say if I was projected early first round, late second, let those 30 guys move on, right? Do what I had done again and move up into the top half of the first round naturally, right? Um, so if we won that game and we got to play, I felt like our size would have been more a problem for Carolina. That's who we would have faced next than it was for UConn. UConn had seven footer, you know, like Carolina had people that were listed as seven foot that were like six, nine. Uh, <laughs> and one of the things that Todd McCullough was really great at is if you didn't, if you didn't like push him out or you tried to play him athletically and you were undersized, he would kill you. If you knew that you were undersized and you like put weight on him early and made him fight to get to the block, it would slow us down and bog us down. And I don't think Carolina would have respected him that way. They would have tried to play him athletically. And I think we would have really been able to, you know, get to the final four in an alternate uh, reality. And if we do that, um, and I'm now projected, you know, middle of the first round, I'll probably leave. Um, wow. I never thought yeah, but, never yeah. Thought but right. now the way we got back, when we got back, I think one of the, reasons that we didn't make a, a jump it's when we got back coach bender got on a plane and went to texas and start interviewing for other jobs and he, he started positioning himself like not oh go in sit down and talk to barbara hedges and maybe he did and we didn't know about that about hey you know give me some more money but it felt like it was like oh i'm back and now these schools are calling let me go look at some other opportunities well when you do that and that gets out publicly now you're not recruiting, you're not recruiting the momentum you've created from the tournament. And if you are recruiting the momentum you created for the tournament, your recruits don't believe it because you're on a plane to Texas, you know? And so I feel like there was a window of opportunity for the program that was lost because of the negotiation process between, you know, Miss Hedges, Barbara Hedges and, and Coach Bender. And I don't know, you know, like, behind the scenes how that worked or what that looked like but ultimately he put himself in a position uh we put him in a position 
to have more opportunities and get a raise. And he was, you know, looking at that and it got out to be to be public that that was something that he was looking at. Did you like playing for Bob Bender overall? Um, definitely. Uh, I mean, we had our challenges, you know, and then like here's one of the things about like I could tell your listeners about college athletics, like players. It's so rare for like players to love the experience, like to love their coaches. You know, like it's not, you know, <laughs> like it's not, you'd be surprised, like, oh man, this this guy, this guy, that, that guy, that, you know, like it's 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 the standard, like to not have I heard like, that about Don James too. That not everyone, right. you know. So. <laughs> no, yeah. Most people didn't. Yeah, you know, but and so it's 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 not a you know, like we don't have a uh you know, I haven't spoke to him or whatever. I I definitely love the time we spent together. Like love him as the as a person, um, because you go through those things together. Um, but, but we don't have a relationship, you know. Uh, and but I accomplished like some of the most cherished moments of my life, like with you playing for you. You right. know what I mean? And like vice versa, right? He didn't go on to go to a whole bunch of tournaments and whatever. Yeah. Went on to coach in the NBA as an assistant. So you always have that mutual love and respect, not just because of what you accomplished, but what you went through together to accomplish it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I loved playing for University of Washington. I loved playing uh, at home. I loved the lessons and the man that I grew into under Coach Bender and his, his staff and their tutelage. Um, I think that a lot of those lessons, uh, you don't know how intentional they are, how purposeful they are, or whatever, but you got what you need to get in life to be a productive, you know, citizen, a, a good man, and to, to raise your kids. And you had great, great time doing it. Um, so, yeah, I, I love playing for, for Coach Bender. Uh, if you had to pick one, who was uh, the best Pac 10 player you played with or against? Pick one player in your years in the Pac-10 that, that, that stood out that you thought was the was was the most talented player, either on your team yeah. or an opposing team. Yeah, I think it was uh, Sharif Abdurrahim, a Cal. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he's, he he kind of came out of nowhere. Um, he was in Atlanta, and then he's at Cal, and then you you like here. I remember before we played them. Like his number, he was averaging like 18, 19 a game, maybe, maybe 20s. Um, but he's shooting like 67% from the floor. And he was sitting his, it's like a he's he's a he wasn't a like a prominent high school player that you heard about. Oh, and he's six nine, six ten, or whatever. And I remember them talking about how good he was, you know, playing and, and watching a little film and just being like, God can't be that, can't be that good. You know, like. And the jump ball uh, gets tipped to him in the game, and he comes down, and he, like, just so fluid, kind of in and out, stutter step, between the legs, spin move, like, off the glass that he missed. And I was like, oh, he's that good. <laughs> he made one move, and he, it didn't go in. But with his size and his athleticism, the shot, the way the ball came off his hands, I was like, like literally all my doubts about who we were playing against and how good he was went out the window 
with one play that didn't even result in a basket. I'm like, oh, man, this guy is good. Uh, so probably him. Uh, Mike Dickerson is somebody who, if I didn't, if I hadn't, like, we didn't grow up playing against each other every day. And the only experience I had was um, when we played against him in Arizona. Uh, I would probably say Mike Dickerson. Um, and I just say that because, like, that's my boy. But and so I know what his game was. I was used to it. But we had a <laughs> we had a game in Arizona where I think he went 11 straight on me and Deion Luton. And he's hitting double pump jumpers. And, you know, Mike could get going. And when he got going, he was – he was, you know, he was hard to handle and hard to deal with. Um, but I probably have a little bias towards him, like away from him, just because we were getting after it every day uh, leading into college. Um, but he was a, a, a great player. And then uh, you said just one, Baron Davis was also, a, uh, I mean, he was just a monster, monster competitor, athlete. Um, I don't know, the Pac-12 was, was, I mean, the Pac-10 at the time, it was it was fun, man. It was full of challenges. Oh, Cole, your teammate had a good career in the Pac-10. You know, he had a great career. He had a great career. But like I said, the the with Todd, um, Todd was so good, and it was so simple, right? Todd was big. He kept the ball high, and he caught every pass, and he had a great touch. You know, and but Todd was a player that was very um we were interdependent. Like he was very dependent on us delivering him the ball and he was great at finishing it. You know what I mean? And then he kept a lot of people off of us because if he came, if you know, you helped, we could pass it to him and he was gonna catch it and he was gonna be it was gonna be two points. But when I think about great players, I think about guys that you can, and this is, you know, you give the ball to and they can just make stuff happen, right? Uh, as opposed to just, just you know, finishing. Todd's numbers were, were you know, he led the nation in field goal shooting, you know, field goal percentage shooting for three years or whatever. Um, but part of that is all of his shots were, I'm going to say, quote, unquote, easy shots. They were right around the rim, but he was so good at that thing, right? Like he was the best at catching and laying it up. But you know, I mean, I think Todd made five moves in the in in his career there. <laughs> so I'm going to take a little a little switch, and we we're going to go back to to Husky basketball in a minute. But I, these are two questions I've asked about every guest since about late 2019. I get the most amazing answers to these two questions. The first question is, who's a living sports figure? Can be a player, a general manager, somebody who's still with us <laughs> you'd love to interview or spend some time with. And who is a deceased sports figure in history? It can be, a again, a manager, a player, owner that you would have loved to have spent some time with and interviewed. So two questions for you. Living in a deceased sports figure you would, you would love to um, have spent time with and spend time with. Past tense and, and future. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh living um and and I, I actually had an opportunity and, and I had a brief discussion uh with this guy man uh and I'll tell you the story but Jerry Rice uh Jerry Rice I mean you know Michael Jordan whatever but like 
Jerry, uh, his work ethic uh, was legendary. Uh, what he was able to do on the football field with like what his specs were, right? Like I'm fascinated and I've always been, even in basketball, um, about like in business and everything is like, who's the, who makes the most out of the least? Like who makes the most out of what they have? Not, you know, like, not just like who's the best, right? Like, because when you're trying to become good at something, right? The guy who's the outlier physically or whatever, like that doesn't really apply to you if you're not the outlier physically. But Jerry's that guy. He's the standard of the wide receiver position. But if you, you know, if you had a combine and you lined up all the all-time greats um, and it was just a wide receiver combine, you know, Jerry might not fall in the top 30. He's in the Hall of Fame, though. I believe. No, 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 no. But I mean, just if you just looked at the physical stature and oh, the I things that are supposed to make a great. Now, he's the best who's ever done it. Like, yeah. there's no question about that for, as far as I'm concerned and most people. But if you just said, oh, here's a combine, run a 40, you know, do this, do that. How big are you? How fast are you? And all that stuff. He wouldn't he probably wouldn't be in the top 30 all time, but he's right. number one by by far. Number one, right? As far as what he was able to accomplish. So those are the people who I like to and I had to I actually ran into Jerry Rice, San Francisco, Macy's. Uh the brothers, it you know, the brother Jerry, he's there, he's in a suit, it's looking, you know, good. And this is probably I don't my 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 pandemic clock is all messed up as far as years, but this is seven to ten years ago. I'm there playing in the basketball tournament and I walk in and I'm like, oh, that's Jerry Rice right there. And so I say, hey, you know, Jerry Donald Watts, you know, my dad's from the same area as you are, Mississippi. Uh, oh, we're about Rolling Fork, Mississippi, you know, the Delta, Mississippi. Oh, yeah, I know Slick, you know, whatever, this, this, and this. I say, hey, man, I've always heard and read about your workout up this hill, you know, that you used to do. And guys would come in and try to work out with you. And they have to leave after a couple of days and come back. I said, you know, where is that at? And he, like, told me you know, where is that? He said, you, you want to go out there? I said, it's one of the things that like, it's on my bucket list. I want to go work out there. He said, oh, he said, well, if you do take a barf bag. And I said, for real, is it, is it like that? You know, I'm at, he said, yeah. He said, nah, matter of fact, take an ambulance. <laughs> he said, if you go, if you go run that, take an ambulance with you <laughs> because you're going to need it. And I was like, oh, okay. And so we're talking and this lady comes in and like, she's, you know, she sees them suited up, looking good or whatever. We're in San Francisco. And uh, she says, uh, excuse me, sir. She's like, uh, can you tell me where to find men's shoes? And he looked, <laughs> he goes, oh, I'm sorry, ma'am. I, I don't I don't work here. And she's like, oh, she's, I'm sorry. Well, you're all dressed up, you, you know, looking nice. I'm, I'm sorry. I assumed you work here. But if you did, I guess you, you would know where men's shoes was. And I was just like, I was mind blown. I was like, this is Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice. In San Francisco. In Macy's, and this lady assumes that she he's working here. <laughs> like she didn't. It, it it was it was it was one of the most. I was like, oh my god! Like, because I was starstruck. We're in his hometown, and the brothers dressed up nice with a suit, and and right. they just assumed that he was working there. So that was my Jerry Rice story. But I would love to have the opportunity 
to go hit that hill with him, have lunch with him, and just talk to him about. Uh, what a great name. Nobody had mentioned Jerry Rice yet as a living sports figure they had to spend time with. We can't forget he had a little run as a Seahawks player, too. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm, I've never, I've never, ever, I'm not the fan to fight, like to get into arguments with people or whatever. But I was at the game when they were playing against the Cowboys. And there was a Seahawks fan in front of me that's like, oh, he's an embarrassment. He should just go retire and all this stuff. And I literally almost <laughs> almost got in a fight that day in the stands over Jerry Rice. I was just like, man, love it. he's what running a great game of a living sports figure. Um, yeah. who's a deceased sports figure in history you would love to have spent time with? Uh Muhammad Ali. Yeah, Muhammad Ali. He he just did so much. He's somebody I study his workout routines and, and his strategy and um his promotion and self-promotion uh, and all that stuff. He's somebody who my father had an opportunity to meet. Uh, one of his daughters really was a fan of my dad. And when they were on the road, Ali came to his room so that he could, you know, could meet him. Um, but he, did, he just did so much for uh, people. Uh, he did so much for sports. Uh, as a whole and when he was going through it and doing it um, you know he's very popular now but when he was going through it and doing it he was he was not as popular True. he, he True. was very unpopular and so that conviction um, to be who he was and and do what he did and to do it in the way that helped uh, so many people through so many things I mean for him to be able to go negotiate with uh foreign governments to get prisoners of war released uh to this country is like that's not you know like that's unheard of amazing guy ali's name comes up a lot as a response to that question so you're you're probably the fifth or sixth guest to mention muhammad ali which is a great name of a deceased sports figure that i think we all would have enjoyed spending time with well let me let me kind of uh back up again um and uh thank you for your great responses those those questions Huge news broke today. Um, if my podcast had like a, a breaking news caption, it would be coming up right now. But the, the news that uh, the University of Washington, University of Oregon will be leaving the Pac-12 conference to join the Big Ten. Give, give me your thoughts on it, Donald. And, and maybe give us some thoughts about what's going to do to the Husky basketball program, an Oregon program for that matter, with the travel and the uh, some other um, effects. Just just kind of talk about the, the decision and how it's going to affect the basketball program at UW. Um, I mean, it's definitely going to have an effect, uh, on the basketball program. It's definitely going to have an effect, you know, on football program. Um, it, 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 it's hard. It's a tough, it's a tough question. It's a tough deal, um, without me like really sitting down looking at it. You know, it's one of those things in life, um, cause it's very personal to me. I have a son that's playing at Wazoo who, one of the reasons he, went to Wazoo, like one of the reasons you choose a school is the conference that you're going to be playing in. Well, that's all up in the air for us as a family, uh, as well as for my, uh, for my alumni. Um, part of a difficult question to answer because I haven't had a chance to process it. Like you see it coming, but then it's like, okay, what does that really mean? It, obviously travel is going to be a lot different. Um, but I don't think travel I, – I just don't – you know, I mean, the tradition of playing on Thursdays and Saturdays, you know, like I, I don't – I know the Pac-12. I know the Pac-10. I know how that works. 
You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I know the Big Ten from afar. I don't I don't know their tra travel schedules. Like, I know the towns that they're in. I don't know what getting into those towns right. looks like. You know what I mean? From a, like, like, I haven't sat down and looked at, like, how many of these schools are just in a city where you can just boom versus you're going to catch a flight and then have a smaller flight. And then, you know, it's like, right. So the, 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 Good points. you know, Good it's, it's, it's definitely going to like have an effect. Um, I have no idea what that effect is. I will say, and I said this all week, like college sports is, is just in such an influx and just changing all over the place. I can't wait. Like it feels bad. It just feels bad, but you know things aren't as bad. Like when when change happens, you you have to know that like it's going to settle and there's going to be some good things and there's going to be some bad things. But when it happens, it just feels like it's just going to be bad. I can't wait till all of this stuff kind of settles and we see what college sports is and can just enjoy it like we have. You know, like we can get back to like some consistency and some, you know, but right now, all of that is completely rocked. And college athletics has been essentially one thing for ever with like some small adjustments or changes or levels, you know, the change. But you have your Pac 12, you have your Big 12, you have your Big 10, you have your SEC, you have your ACC. And it's just been that way. Well, now it's not. And we don't know. Like we don't know how it all takes out. So I can't wait to it. It becomes what it's going to be. And then we can decide like what to enjoy, what we like about it, what we don't like about it, and and enjoy the athletes and the opportunity that college athletics is for those student athletes. Right now, there's just a bunch of business um, happening. You know, <laughs> like yeah, well, I want to get back to the and all this stuff happens as soon as football season starts. We're going to be able to watch games and enjoy it. But there's all this change that's going to happen over the next couple of years. It just just right now, without me having the opportunity to sit down and really dissect it, it, that's a really tough, tough question. You know, it's it's like I I feel a sense of like um, mourning. You know, like the the college athletics yeah. as I know it and owned it, like know it is is it's gone. You know, it's gone. Right. So now, what is it going to be going forward? And there's yeah, there's a sense of like a morning. <laughs> I mean, those are long flights for student athletes, not just in basketball. Football, you know, six or seven times a year you, you play games, which is not insignificant. But other sports, I mean, going to Rutgers, New Jersey, and, and Michigan, those are long flights middle of the week. Yeah, uh, I mean, absolutely. Um, but, you know, as a, somebody who's traveled, like, I look as a flight as a flight. You know, like whether it's a three-hour flight, you, you, especially as a team, if it's a three-hour flight, you're getting to the airport two hours early. You know what I mean? So that's a then you got to get the bus or whatever. So that's a six-hour trip anyway. So the the actual flight time, if it's a five-hour flight, doesn't really make that much difference. Um, but it's when you get to somewhere and then you got to get to somewhere. You got to get on a plane to get somewhere else. And you know, it, for example. My son is in the recruiting process. We fly, um, uh, what's the school? Oh, man, I'm, I'm blanking on it. It's in New York. But they fly us out, land at JFK, 
We they get us to the school, um, the Rams. They get us to the school. Boom, cool. The next week, we're supposed to go to. I come back and we're supposed to go to Siena, right? And it's like I get the travel. And I'm taking care of my dad and all this stuff, and I get the travel thing. And it's like from Seattle to North Carolina, from North Carolina to upstate New York. And it was like a 10 hour travel. Day. And like, that is not like going from here right, to, right. to JFK, five is cool. But going from here to Carolina to, it was like, oh, I can't do that right now. You know, like there's no, like I'm, there would be two days traveling right, to be there for two days. And that's what, that's when you worry about it. A lot there, a lot there. Uh, you got time, maybe 10, 15 more minutes, Donald? You got a little more time? Yeah, I'm, I'm here. Yeah. Let's enjoy this. Um, I uh, wanted to kind of, I think listeners will enjoy this. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what your experiences were playing abroad in Belgium and South America? Were the Belgian waffles good? I mean, what? what? <laughs> yeah. well, I'm gluten-free, man. So I yeah, okay, that's right. That. That's right. Okay, that's right. And when, and when I chose to, when I chose to, uh, to indulge, it wasn't with waffles. It okay. was with the beer. And the Belgian beer was really good. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, it was good. Uh, Brussels, where I was at, was really um, kind of easy um, because they spoke a lot of English uh, there. Uh, and it's, you know, the capital of European Union or whatever. So a lot of business and a lot of. So that was a pretty easy um, place to play as far as the lifestyle uh, and stuff like that. And, um, you know, one of the things you learn when I. If, initially went overseas that I didn't appreciate, but you learn to appreciate is like the stores close at night, you know, like Sundays, things are closed. Like you're supposed to be with your family on Sunday, you know? And so it's just like here we're used to, Oh, 24 seven, go to the store, do this, do that, run it all around, you know, everything's open all the time, but there things would shut down. Like you, you come home from work, you go get your groceries you know, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, stores closed. There's, you don't, you know, bars are open, but restaurants are open, but you're not going grocery shopping at 10, 11 o'clock at night. Interesting. You're not doing that stuff on Sundays. Um, so it's just set up for like a, a, a higher quality, like family oriented uh, quality of life. And so there are little things um, like that, that were, you know, you, you just get opened up to, um, Playing in South America, spending a little time in Argentina, that was a little bit of a eye opener. It was a lot more European than than I thought and anticipated. And then spending time in Rio, what was was something that was like it was incredible. Like the flavor of life, the I mean, it's just incredible experience. Um, but when you get back from from that experience, or you're getting on the plane. Uh, Coming, you know, back to the United States at, at that young age, I was like, I don't know if I can do that again. I mean, I got on the plane and I did my Hail Mary, you know, I was raised Catholic or whatever. And I was like, whoop, I'm alive. <laughs> like that was some that was some fun living that takes years off your life. And it's tough. Um, it's a tough environment to be a professional uh in uh it, it's you know it's it's a it's a it's a fast lifestyle um and as a young man i i, I enjoyed some of it. i didn't go you know too crazy right um but but the temptation and the you know the fun is definitely there people uh, so just it was, it was learn something. 
you just learn so much by travel and spending time in foreign countries. I'm not the most extensively well-traveled guy in the world, but I, you just learn so much. I mean, just spending time in a place like Brussels, whatever, you know, so. Absolutely. It, 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 it gives you a better perspective. I think that we, um, as Americans, like definitely feel like we are it. You know what I mean? Like we have the way things are supposed to be. And I felt that when I would go places and be like, yo, what? But then from, from traveling and from being there and, and doing it in a way, traveling in a way where you're immersed in culture, you realize that like, we're like, we as Americans are very young, like in our country and our culture, you know what I mean? And, and so you learn to appreciate uh, some of the traditions that, either we didn't have here because we're so young as a country or that we've lost um, because we're so capitalistic. Um, and then, you, you, you know, you, you learn to appreciate those things. And it's kind of good for your soul. And it, it helps you uh, be a better human being. And I think a better American as well. How were your D league uh, CBA experiences? Oh, uh, they were good, man. It's, you know, there's so many crazy things that <laughs> happens. <laughs> There were so many crazy things that happens that are in the moment. You're like, what the heck is that? Um, but had an opportunity to play a little while for uh, Dennis Johnson uh, before he passed. And somebody who had, you know, I, when he was here, you know, like I had been around him a little bit when I was a youngster, youngster. Um, and so that was that was a that was like having the opportunity to spend some time with him. Um, but then also having him, you know, have a heart attack playing basketball uh was tough um and then it was just you know like a, none of it for me was as good as it as as i had hoped because basketball was a struggle because of the chronic fatigue and trying to manage that and see i was trying to see if i could break through if i could handle that and break through so some of the basketball tough stuff was tough and wasn't going the way that i wanted to to go and would have wanted to go but I still have tremendous friendships and valuable life experiences uh, from from those from those moments. I never knew Dennis Johnson was your coach. So, so one thing I enjoy about interviewing is I you just learn so much fun things about a person in their life. And so yeah, yeah, Dennis Johnson, like Nate Tiny Archibald, like like yeah, I've had the opportunity to play for some you know to to play for some guys, man. Legendary, legendary basketball figures. Real quickly, and I want to talk. I'm going to end talk about your basketball academy a bit, but let me just sort of um, ask you another Husky basketball question. Any, any thoughts on on uh, on the whole Mike Hopkins situation? Um, I love, love, love uh, Coach Hop. Uh, just as a dude, I love his positive energy. I mean, you see what um, the way he poured into though you know people say oh he only won with Romar's players well most coaches when they come in they get rid of the other coaches they don't pour into them uh, Romar had some talented players he figured out how to make the most of them um I think that coaching college athletics has been such a like in the last five or six years has been such a crazy fluid situation you got your COVID years you got your NIL years you got all of this stuff and I don't think there could be any tougher time to be a first-time head coach than the last six or seven years right like you you're you're from the institution of college basketball you've done it as an assistant 
being a head coach is a completely different ball game. If you're a first-time head coach and you have success or whatever, but you're a first-time head coach and now you're recruiting and now you're in the transfer portal era and the COVID era and this and all of I just think that coaches who have some experience already have some stability that have to make some tweaks to the times are going to be at like a much greater advantage than a coach who's starting off his career during these times. And, and I definitely think that uh, it's made coach Hopkins job uh, extremely difficult. I think another part of it is, you know, my son had committed to play in the big East. So I was really watching big East basketball a lot, a lot of East coast basketball. And I don't know. I don't think that his defensive philosophies translate to the West Coast. And what I, I just when you watch East Coast basketball, it's big, it's rough, it's rugged. You know, usually they have a big dude that you know can't shoot, or you know, what I mean, he's a shot blocker and a rim runner. But if he's outside of twelve to fifteen feet, you can leave him alone. I think you can do that in the Big East. I don't think you do that in the West Coast on the Pac-12, where essentially, you know, like you have teams where every player on the team can knock down a 15-footer. So you can't leave, you can't pick to leave somebody when you have that scenario. So an Oregon State or a Utah, you know, is always going to be a thorn in your side because you're leaving somebody. But you can go and beat a Kansas because Kansas has that big guy who grabs it and dunks it. But if he's outside of 15 feet, He's not going to be able to do anything. So you leave him and he's a liability in that zone. But when you play a, a team that may not be as good as Kansas, but everybody on the floor has, you know, a touch, now you're susceptible and that that defense doesn't work for you. Um, so I, I think, but, you know, th- those are those are the things that I think have negatively impacted uh, Coach Hopp and, and his ability uh, to, do, to, do, to do the job here, get the job done uh, here. You'd like to see him have a chance for at least a few more years, basically. You'd like to see him have a – because his contract runs out, I think, in 2025. You'd like to see him have a more of an extended opportunity? No, I, I'm not going to say that. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to – like, and I, like, I'm not saying I want him fired. Right. But I don't know the direction of the program. Right? I don't like every – like, I, I when, the, when the year ended this year, I felt good about where it was going. But then seven guys are gone. Right. So it's like we're rebooting again. You know, and it's like every like there's no continuity and 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 as an alum, I want I want to know the plan. I want to see the plan. I want to see the 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 trajectory and the building. Um you know, you you're watching Gonzaga, you know, who's who's when I came in, we were like, uh, you know what I mean? And they've been in the tournament every year since. Every year, right? Like, so you you have some envy there, right? Like what what are programs like that made? You want of? some direction. You want to see a plan. You kind of you know, yeah. it's like I don't want to put words in your mouth, Donald, but you you're willing to give Hopkins more of an opportunity, but you, you want to know what the portfolio, what the plan is and all that. Yeah, okay. I, I don't want to I don't want to hear about another Kentucky kid. Yeah, like this, like not that, that there's anything wrong, but like the Kentucky kid is going to come save the day. I, I don't. That's not. Right. I, I want to, you know, I, I want to see. I wanted to see Minifield 
and Corin Johnson grow into a backcourt, a college backcourt. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that could that can could help. You know, I want to see Braxton Mia and those guys make another step this year. Like I wanted to see that. And then when that didn't happen, it's not, I'm not like, oh, well, Mike's got to go now. But it's like, if that's not going to happen going forward, like w- what are we doing? You know, and I know all that's not his fault or whatever it is, right. but like somebody's got to be able to come in here and manage it and get this ship righted. You know, the, the, you know, you just look at, you know, look at programs like, and they're in, in different lesser leagues or whatever, but Boise State and you, you know, where coaches have some experience and they're able to navigate these waters better than what Washington has been able to do. Um, and as a, an alum that, that, that took the school from here and got it to there, you want to see it get to there and stay there. The program, Donald, tell me if you agree with this, the program, UW basketball feels a little undefined right now. Is that a bad way to break it down? That's perfect. Okay. It okay. feels undefined. Okay. And I want I want some definition that I can believe in. Like gotcha. even, you know, like even if you you when the Golden State Warriors were the worst team in basketball, they still looked like the Golden State Warriors without the pieces on the floor. But yep. the pieces were coming back and other guys were growing while they were losing. So you felt good about Oh, they're they're like it's okay, right? Like they're they're not the worst team in basketball. They have the worst record, but they're not the worst program, right? And you don't you don't feel that way about Washington. Like coming into this year, I don't know what to expect except for what somebody else can tell me. But with my own basketball eyes, my own basketball, I don't, and that doesn't feel good. Too undefined, right? right, right yeah. Right. Donald, I, I'm going to end with a couple questions about your basketball coaching and tutoring. As I mentioned in the introduction, you you have a um, very well-known local, um, I guess we call it Basketball Academy, Watts Basketball LLC. Uh, let me start with this question first. And I this 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 is this I'm curious about this. So I know you work with some really top players that are like college-bound players and stuff, but how do you handle expectations, Donald, when you're tutoring a kid? who is likely not ever going to be a college player. And he or she may not even make their high school team. It's like one of those kids that that has some talents, but really isn't a top player by any means. How do you handle those expectations with the kid and their parents and so forth? When you're working with a kid who you think you can get better, but there's a question that you're going to be a high school reserve on their team. How, how do you handle that kind of situation? Well, so for me, I never tell a kid that they can or they can't do anything i don't bs them um what i do is i tell them hey if this is what you are going to accomplish like this is what you set out to accomplish this is what the work is going to look like you know hey you're a long shot to get this happen i'm not going to discourage you from anything i can't do that my dad was a walk-on he was undrafted and he became the first player to lead the NBA in steals and assists. He was a defensive all pro. He wasn't supposed to ever play a second in the NBA, you know? So the, like the fabric of who we are, isn't You're like, not going to discourage oh, a kid. Yeah. No, uh-uh. I'm, I'm going to encourage him to like, here's what it looks like. And then if you're willing to put in that kind of work, it's like, and understand that you could put in this work and it couldn't, and not get the outcome that you want. But if it's still worth it for you to put in the work, then I encourage you to do it because you you 
kids grow from success, but also from failure if they really put their heart into something, right? And I think one of the things as, as parents that we try to do is protect our kid from disappointment. But it's like, don't get disappointed, get determined, right? And even if you turn that determination and the work ethic that you learn from trying to get that into something else that's going to make you successful, something that's maybe you're more talented or more gifted at, you still got what you needed from this effort from going forward to, to be set up to be successful in life. So that's, that's our philosophies and principles. And that's how I deal with it. Love it. You know, I, I wasn't a top athlete and I had some coaches that were encouraging. I had some were discouraging and you, you don't really forget that it, it kind of, you know, hurts you, but um, you seem to have more of a positive style. Um, can you mention a story like one in particular that stands out and how you helped a player improve? I know there's so many you've worked with, but do you have one story that stands out at all with a particular kid that you really, really love the the progress the kid made? Um, I, I, I'm I'm going to take this uh, kind of a little bit of a different direction, okay. Uh, if okay. if I may, there's so many, there's so many like stories of kids that I help improve in basketball. Like truthfully, they're just you know it's like. I feel like I'm can take a kid who's doing, you know, work, wants to play college. And it's like, Hey man, if you do this for the next two hours a day, for the next 10 weeks, you'll get a scholarship. But focus on this specific thing, right? Like I'm, I feel like a little uh, kind of a hoop whisper and that like coaches aren't calling you because you don't have this thing. This is how you get that thing. But the, the thing that's more impactful for me, um, uh, there was a kid who, um, uh, his dad helped us, you know, he was a coach for us when we had our AAU program. Uh, he was younger. Um, then he, uh, as he got older, he was playing high school basketball. He started training with me. We no longer had our AAU programs. And uh, he, he had this like anger about the way he approached it and just not really the best attitude towards it. And so finally, um, and I coached them, coach, and then finally I told him, I said, hey, man, like, this isn't, like, the way you're approaching this thing is you're not taking it serious. This isn't for you. You know what I mean? If that's how you're going to approach it. Um, you got to be a good teammate. You got to be, you know, whatever. A couple years later, and I hadn't seen him for a while, we're we're family friends, me and the, and the family, and I'm going into a community center, and this guy puts me on the show. He's like, Coach, man, I just want to say thank you uh, for what you did for me. And I'm kind of looking at him, and he, like, kind of invited, violated my space the way he approached me, and I didn't recognize him. So I'm kind of like, he's like, Coach, it's Kai. And I was like, oh, Kai, what's up? You know, I'm like, hey, man, you matured. You know, sometimes you see a kid, you don't see him for a year, and they go from being an adolescent to looking like a man. And he's like, yeah, man, when you, you know, told me not to come back to the gym, if I wasn't serious about it, whatever, he's like, ultimately, like, I really learned that, like, I wasn't being serious about it. And I approach everything else in life different. And I really appreciate you for that. So I was like, oh, man, that's, you know, like, cool, man. And gave him a hug. Like, so good to see you or whatever. And then we kind of started rebuilding a relationship. You come back to the gym and hang out. Well, Kai got cancer oh. and was given when he found out he had some pain in his legs and he had weeks, they gave him like six weeks to live if he didn't do the surgery and he opted not to do it. Ultimately, 
like in his therapy, he called me. I went by the house to check on him. He was asleep, and so I didn't disturb him. He called me a couple of days later, and he's just like, Coach, man. He was like, uh, and he was, you know, he was on the chemo, so he was kind of slurring or whatever. He's like, man, I, 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 I you know, I'm, I'm glad you came by the house. I've really been thinking about you. You know how you told me to write down my goals, and you taught me that whole process. And I was like, yeah. He's like, man, I wrote down my goals. And he's like, and you know what my goal is? And I said, what is it? He's like, to get back in the gym with you. And it was like, he was on his deathbed. Wow. And his motivating factor was to get back. And I'm about to, in tears now, was to get back in the gym with us. Well, ultimately, he fought it. Uh, he beat it, you know, wow. at that time. And he, and he got back in the gym with us. Uh, and we, you know, I got him to some, th like, we, we just, we built Maybe. a, like, rebuilt a relationship. Yeah. And I mean, unfortunately, um, he ended up getting brain cancer um, again. And he, and he has since passed. Um, but the, the impact, right? Like you asked me, the question you asked me before is, is when a kid's not going to make it, how do you handle that? Like I support kids in going for their dreams, right? No matter what they, I'm not the dream killer. I'm the, Hey, this is how it works. And then as a mentor, I try to help them understand you're trending the right direction or the wrong direction. And if you're trending the wrong direction, here's how to get back on the right direction. And then if you're stubborn about that, then this ain't for you. Like, And so that's such a powerful tool. And where like those moments, though, like where Kai, right, who's fighting for his life, is thinking about those moments in the gym that he spent with a mentor that told him the truth about, you know, how and and. And, and attacking something as serious as cancer in a different way because of lessons you learned through basketball. Oh, um, wow. Powerful story. I mean, it'll choke up myself. Very, very yeah, powerful. So yeah. That, so that's, you know, that's, that's the, that's, that's it for me, man. That's, that's the, incredible. that's incredible. Well, I'm going to end with this uh, question. Um, what a uh, great um, chat we, we've had. And I'd love to have you back one day. Um, why don't you just tell us what's in the future for Donald Watts? Uh, the future for me, man, I'm, I'm you know, I, I, at this point in my life, I thought that I would get my kids off to college, that I would start splitting my time between here and the South, uh, probably New Orleans, um, being an empty nester. But I have my dad with me. I'm taking care of him um, and trying to rebuild. Uh, you know, I was operating my business coming out of the pandemic when my father had his stroke and then a bunch of the financial responsibility, emotional responsibility has fell on me. So the future, immediate future is just getting my business back to square one and building my businesses back up and, um, and just giving him the best life that we can give him um, going forward and then starting to get back to me, right? Like I raised two kids. I got them off to college. I want to start planting those seeds where I'm between here and, uh, and you know, I was born here, but I consider the South home uh, as well. My, my, I have a huge family. My mom's got 11 sisters, uh, cousins, all of that stuff. My grandmas are down there. So I, I want to get back there and spend time with my family. Great. Well, Donald, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. I'm so glad I finally got you on uh, the Sports Untold podcast. And you and I will be in touch. Look forward to seeing you again soon. Yep. Hey, appreciate it. Peace, love, and basketball, baby. Let's go. Love it. Thanks, Donald. Yeah.
which 